following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, September 23rd at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Since uh, the beginning of September, Robert uh, has been starting our series in the book of Philippians, and we've been reminded of the tender affection that we are called to have for one another as Christians. And so we're going to take a slight detour around Philippians this week, but we will be looking at what that tender affection that we are called to have for one another actually means. Specifically, what does it truly mean when God makes us a part of his family? Um, This is something that that we believe, that we talk about, that we use language uh, for, but we don't really know exactly how that applies to our life. We don't really know what that actually should mean to our lives. And if you, uh, so we will be looking together at Matthew chapter 12. Verses 46 through 50, if you want to turn there, um, we're going to understand what that, how that actually shapes and directs the affections that we should have for one another. How does, how does the fact that God has made us a family impact the affections that we should have one another? So if you have your Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. While he, Jesus, was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They're seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this Um, unique opportunity to to gather together, um, to gather together to hear uh, what you have done, to be reminded of what you have done. Um, Thank you that you have called us your family. Uh, You have called us out of of darkness. You have called a people that were not a people, and you have have made us into something uh, very unique. And so help us to understand what that actually means and how we can apply that to our lives today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so here in Matthew 12, we have one of those very interesting accounts. Um, Jesus is, is really good at just taking uh, in a very, very mundane moments and turning them into wonderful, teachable uh, moments. So, so Jesus takes a seemingly simple situation. He is just reacting to what has happened, and he teaches a remarkable lesson about what it means to follow after him. He teaches us about what it means to be a part of his family. So Jesus here is, is addressing uh, some of his followers. Uh, his, his apostles are there. There are people that, that he healed earlier that day that are, that are there present. And there are scribes and Pharisees that are, according to verse 14 in that same chapter, um, there to conspire against him to figure out how to destroy him. So that's the crowd that he is, he is speaking to. And so just to give you some background of what this day looked like, um, it, was a, it was an intense day. I, I'm sure many days were like this. But the... But the background is that in essence, at this point, Jesus is fired up. Um, some of the harshest language that we have recorded that Jesus uses, he uses on this day. He has healed many people, including a, a demon-oppressed man, and the Pharisees had said that it was the work of the devil. He then tells them that if you speak against the Spirit of God, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, that they will not be forgiven in this life or in the life to come. That's not normal language for for Jesus. That's not normally what you think is going to come out. You think gracious, forgiving words. Um, But he tells them that they will not be forgiven because of the way that they are speaking. Then right after that, he starts talking about how bad trees produce bad fruit. 
He calls them a brood of vipers. And then he tells the Pharisees they will be condemned by their careless words. So Jesus has called them out here and said, you're, you're going to really regret the way you're using your words right now. And the Pharisees, who clearly had no idea, went when to stop. They answered back with verse 38 of the same chapter. Teacher, why don't you show us a sign? Honestly, at this point, there had to be somebody there present who just had to look down and think they did not just say that. That did not just come out of his mouth. There's a man that started to speak and see things when just a few minutes earlier he was blind and mute, and the Pharisees still come at Jesus and say, hey, teacher, why don't you show us a sign? And so he blasts them again in verse 39 of this chapter, and he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. He just looks at them and says, what you just asked for is what evil, adulterous people ask for. Um, so this, when it comes to this point, this is actually a, a tense place. This is not just, hey, let me tell you about what, what family is like. This is a tense place. Now, now just think about this for a second. Can you imagine being the guy who was delivering this message? He's heard all that's happened. He's heard the words, brood of vipers evil and adulterous generation, you will not be forgiven. Can you imagine being the guy who has to come up and say, hey, Jesus, your mom's here, and she wants to talk to you. Um, you have to be thinking this isn't going to go well. Um, no matter who you are, even if you know Jesus, you have to be looking at that and saying, this is a tense scene right now. Listen, if this, if this was us, we would hear what Jesus says in response to this and think, okay, maybe he's just fired up, and so he doesn't really mean this. If I was speaking to you and someone came in and said your wife and your kids are outside and really need to talk to you, and I said, who are my wife and kids? These guys are my wife and kids. What would you think? What would you say? You'd, you'd probably think, man, you're really kind of being a jerk right now to your family. Why don't you just go and talk to your family? But Jesus wasn't, I, I promise you, Jesus wasn't being a jerk. Uh, this isn't just leftover frustration uh, with, with the Pharisees. Um, and it doesn't say that he just sent his family away and never talked to them. Um, Jesus, Jesus takes this opportunity to, to, to talk about what it really means to be a part of his family. He takes this opportunity to reorient our understanding of what a family is, what it means to do the will of the Father, and what it means to be found in him. He is making a point to help those who are hearing understand again and again the impossibility of being able to save ourselves, the impossibility of, of being able to make ourselves acceptable to God. He was talking to a people who had believed for a long time that if they did the right good works and did enough of those right good works, that they could save themselves, that God would be pleased with them. But he reminds them of something only he can do, and that is create a family and make someone a part of it. We can't do that ourselves. We can't just make ourselves part of a family. When God makes us alive, he brings us into a family, and that family is defined by each family member doing the will of the Father. Your, your most true important and lasting identity is as a child of God. You cannot make that happen on your own. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 uh, says it this way. This is Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6. It says this, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. God has to make that happen. He has to send that spirit into our hearts. He has to, to, to adopt us into his family. He adopts us. He makes us sons and daughters. No matter what happens in this world, our greatest confidence comes in knowing that we have a father that holds us close and will never forsake us. 
We identify ourselves easily by, by our family, by who we are in relation to our family. I am, I am my father's son. I am married to the love of my life, Jen Abbott. I am Abraham and Clementine's dad. I, I love those things about myself, and I am proud to be identified by those relationships. Um, and there is immense importance in them. When I remind you that being a part of God's family is even more important than being a part of, of your earthly family, I am in no way trying to diminish the importance of your earthly family. What, what we hope to do, what I hope to do is to magnify the value and help you ha- understand how eternally important it is that you have been made a part of Christ's family. That the words that he says there are life-giving and we need to receive them that way. The world tells us so many lies about who you are. You, you tell yourself so many lies about who you are. So every time that we feel hurt, we feel offended, we feel rejected, every time we feel like we failed, we, we need to remind ourselves that even though I can't feel it right now, I am a chosen child of God. I have been made a brother or sister by the work of Christ, and I am held safe by the everlasting grace of my Father in heaven. So then what does it actually mean in my life? Is this simply a comfort for me when I feel like I've been let down by those closest to me? What does it mean to my relationships? How, how, do I, how far do I actually take what Christ says and let it shape my life? You see, most of the time when, when I think about these words, when I think about myself as part of God's family, um, the, the way I think about it is, is I'm comforted that he sees me as a son, and I'm happy to think that many of you are also seen that way. But I don't really consider or even want to consider what that actually means about how we relate to one another. We often try to define for ourselves what it means to be a part of God's family based on what we're comfortable with instead of allowing God and his word to shape what it means to be a part of his church, to be a part of his family. Uh, This is uh, according to the Barna Research Group. There's a large group of people today uh, in America specifically that fit into the category of they love Jesus but not the church. Uh, That group of people makes up nearly 10% of of our country. So that's basically 30 million people in this country who would say, I love God, I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. I I don't like the church. Um, That might not really be a surprise to you. You probably know somebody who fits uh, in in that category, who feels that way. Um, And there are a lot of different reasons that people get get to that place. But to know that in this country there are 30 million people who feel that way is a little alarming. Uh, this, is, this has been me at various parts of my life. This might be you today. Um, and as, as much as I understand the feeling, it is not right for you to feel that way. Um, if you've been hurt by the church and it feels impossible for you to ever really care about people that way again, I'm sorry. And I, and I honestly hate that, that that kind of thing happens. I, I truly believe that God is the only one who can provide healing for you. Um, if you have been hurt by your family, and that has completely distorted how you understand these words. When you hear about father and brother and sister, they don't, they don't ring true. They don't ring affectionate to you. They hurt. I'm sorry that that has happened to you. I, I truly hate that. And I, and I want you to know that the church is a place that you can bring those things in. And as your family, we will care for you and help you bear those burdens. And I encourage you, honestly, turn to Christ, who can be the family that your earthly family wasn't. Uh, Psalm 2710 uh, says it this way. This is Psalm chapter 27, verse 10. This is the psalmist speaking. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. There's, there's an assumed thing here, that, that in this world, 
there will be people that let us down, and, that's, and, and, and I hate that. But in the midst of that, we take refuge. We take confidence in the fact that God will hold us close. I know there are many things that make this difficult. But if you are a believer, you are called to love the family of God. God doesn't say it's okay for you to love me but hate my children. He doesn't say, I'm glad you really like me, and it's fine that you can't stand to be around my family. I can't, I can't make that happen for you, but God can because even when he was despised and rejected by us, he still loved us so much that he took on our grief and carried our sorrows and made a way for us to be called his children. Even when he was despised and rejected, he still loved us so much that he carried our grief and our sorrows and made a way for us to be called his children. The truth is that for those of you that have trusted and believed in Christ as your Savior, that he has made you a part of a family, and that family is more vital and lasting than your earthly family. You have been made a part of God's family, and now that shapes your view of one another. You might, you might not fall in the I, I, I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians category, but it is easy to look at this and say, yes, I believe that they are a child of God, but that doesn't mean anything, that they, that they are anything in relation to me. You are more indifferent to God's people than, than you dislike them. Uh, it is not okay to be indifferent to God's people. Uh, almost without fail, when, when I've talked about this in communities or I've talked about this to, to, to various people, um, almost without fail, uh, someone takes the analogy too far and brings up their weird uncle. Um, I don't know why, but it happens again and again. It basically goes like this. Uh, yeah, I get that. But, it, you know, every church has, has a bunch of people that are kind of like your weird uncle that you don't want to be around. Um, that cousin that nobody wants to sit next to at Thanksgiving. Um, I would just say, um, I understand why you're saying that. You're saying that because... You, you want to say, hey, yes, I get we need to love each other, but we're not going to all like each other. Uh, I would just say the Bible, Jesus doesn't talk about your weird uncle. Uh, so, so don't take it there. The Bible doesn't go that far with, with the analogy. We need to stick to, to what God is talking about uh, here. Jesus and, and, the, and the Word of God specifically here and throughout the Bible uses language about parents, children, Brothers, sisters, husbands, and wives, language that people understand to mean some of the closest earthly relationships that, that, that we have. Um, we, we, we want to look at it and say, it's popular to say, I'll, I'll, I'll love you, but I don't, I'm not going to like you. I can't just like you. Um, God can create some kind of love in us, but he can't make us like each other. Um, and usually in that moment, if, if we're honest, most of us are kind of shaking our heads saying, that's, that's just reality. We're not going to like everyone in the church. We're not going to like everyone in our family. Uh, so, so, so we're just going to have to be okay with it. I get it. I, I feel this way sometimes. And maybe some of you feel this way about me. Uh, but as, as as much as we all understand and can relate to that feeling, it isn't in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say, love each other except those people who are hard to get along with, so don't worry about them. Uh, as Christians, we, we, we often react by saying, I, I just can't do it. I, I just can't love them. They're, they're, they're weird. They're awkward. They've, they've hurt me in some way. These people aren't easy for me to get along with. Um, the, just, just remember, the commands of God were never meant to be doable within our own natural power. We were, we were meant to be completely dependent on the power and grace of God to be able to accomplish the things that he has laid out for us. Christ says in, in Luke 18, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This family that we're talking about is a supernatural family. People are supposed to look at the church and say, how in the world does that work? 
People are supposed to look at the family of God and say, how is it possible that that group of people care so much about each other? That's what people are supposed to look at. That's the light that shines out of the church that people see and say, that's amazing. I don't know how that works, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm captivated because that doesn't feel like it should work. Listen, you need to remember that you can't do this apart from Christ. So when you hear those words come into your mind or come out of your mouth, I I just can't love that person. I don't like that person. Just remember, you're right. You can't. You can't love that person. But we don't just leave it that leave it there. We in that moment we turn to Christ. We remember the gospel. We remember that you were once the person that God should have looked at and said, Maybe, maybe I'll love him, but I don't like him. He should have looked at you and, and, and said, no, this, I, I just can't love you. Um, but he looked at you instead and said, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter, you're my brother and sister. We are prone to think of ourselves as, as much more acceptable to God than we truly are. We are, we, 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 you aren't the normal person. You aren't the one that makes sense that God came into this world to save. You aren't the one that makes sense that you're a part of this and you just have to put up with everyone else. Whatever person you have in your head right now that you're thinking of, and you probably do have somebody in your head, uh, thinking, I just couldn't do it. Please understand, uh, you, were, you were so much less worthy of God pouring his love out on you than you are of extending love to them. That's not the most encouraging thought. Um, I get that. I like to be encouraging. Um, but just understand, when you are looking at, at other people and saying, I just can't do it for them, you were much less worthy of the love that God extended to you than they are of what you could possibly extend to them. Um, so, so, so then we come to understand that we are always, we are always looking uh, for, for, for common ground. And, and often uh, in that process, in the, even in the church, uh, we look around and we, we, we are desperate to find that, that, that commonality that we have. But we can't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not really going to care about that person because we don't have anything in common. Uh, that's not true. We don't have to find common ground. We have actually been given common ground. Uh, this place where we come together uh, is, is a reminder of the common ground that we have. Here's what we all have in common. All of us have sinned against God, and all of us are in need of a Savior. We are in need of a righteousness that is greater than our own, and for many of us, we have found that righteousness in Jesus Christ. And now those who are lost in darkness live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our common ground. That is what binds us together for eternity. That is a bond that is stronger than any earthly bond. The most defining factor of who you are and the most defining factor of who you will give your time to isn't whether you are married or single, isn't how many kids you have, isn't the color of your skin, isn't where you were raised, it isn't how you educate your children, it isn't your economic status, it isn't whether or not you rightfully hate the New England Patriots and hope they lose very badly tonight on national TV. That is very important. Um, But it is not the most defining factor of who you are. Uh, We all need a Savior, and that Savior has called us his brothers and sisters. He has called us his family, and you don't need anything to add to that. That is enough. 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 1 puts it very plainly this way. Everyone who loves the Father loves, loves whoever has been born of him. Everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. What an incredible statement. If you have been born again, if you have been made a new creation and you love the Father and the Father loves you, 
you will love whoever has been born of him. When you find confidence that you are a son or a daughter of God, then there is great joy in knowing that others have been made a part of this same family, God's family, and now your family. Truly believing that, that, truly believing that will always produce in you an affection for those that have been, been, been born again by the power and grace of God. Um, I understand this, this, isn't, this isn't easy. Um, this isn't going to come natural for everybody. Um, this isn't something that we're just going to naturally do. Um, my wife and I have uh, a five-year-old, and when he had just turned uh, three, we were trying to get him to eat peas for the first time. Um, it didn't go well. Um, he had eaten the rest of his dinner up, up until that point, but didn't try or touch the peas. So we sat there for over an hour trying to get him to eat a pea. He cried. He screamed. He told us that green things make you sick. Uh, he, he told us that it couldn't fit in his mouth. Um, so, we, so we put it in his mouth, and he sat it on his tongue for like five minutes and then just let it fall out all the way still weeping. Um, my wife and I both ate a lot of peas that night trying to show him those things weren't true. And by the end of this time, we're mad at him. We're, we're kind of mad at each other. Um, but I am determined to, to prove to him that my will in this moment is greater than his. And, and hopefully, we will all look back on this day as, as one of my personal greatest victories. Uh, so so at, at this point, Anything will do. And so I just look at him and I just say, Abraham, just eat one pea. Just one pea and you can be finished. And so he's weeping, splotchy face. He, he, eats, he eats the pea. He finally breaks. He eats it. And then he just throws up everything that he's eaten. Just everywhere. And, and I just, I just, I just threw up my hands. I mean, no one came out of that looking good, literally or figuratively. No one came out of that looking good. Uh, for some of you, you look at relationships with people that are different than you, people that you wouldn't normally even want to talk to, and it's like trying to get you to eat that pee. Um, and then you do, and it's just as awkward and as weird as you thought it was going to be. And so you kind of just throw up and say, there's no chance I'm ever doing that again. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way, sin, of course, makes all human community difficult and at times painful, but it is, it is wrong to avoid all food just because sometimes some of it can be bad and makes you sick. Uh, even though Abraham threw up, peas are still good for him, um, and he's eaten a couple since then, not many. Um, but even if it's hard, even if it's awkward, even if it's uh, difficult, it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Robert last week uh, said, that, said it this way, that we are always working out what God has already made us to be. So then it's not only true that we have been made children of God, but then we are called to be working out what it means to be children of God. It is true that we have been made brothers and sisters, but we are also working out what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So that means we don't, we don't just build relationships. We don't start conversations just because we have to. We do these things because God has already made it a reality that we are a family, and we respond to that gracious act by loving that family. This isn't supposed to be perfectly natural and, and good. The Bible is filled with stories of God's people finding it extremely difficult to get along with, with, with each other. We are a sinful people, and God's family is an extremely diverse family. That is not a recipe for an easy path to affection for one another. 1 Timothy 5, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, tells us this. This is 1 Timothy 5, uh, verses 1, and, 1 through 2. Hmm. 
This is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy. Um, He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Paul, Paul here points out that there are differences in people in the church. Differences in age, differences in places in life. It's a reality, but it's not something to avoid, but to be aware of and know how to respond to. He actually affirms those differences in us. God has called us to see each other as a family. He has called us to learn how to create bonds with people who are different than us. How do we know that? Because he has made his family out of a people that are very different from each other. So he has called us to learn how to create bonds with people who are different than us because his people are very different from each other. Different nations, different ages, different skin color, different stages of life, different family backgrounds, different occupations. So if we are working out what God has already made us, then, then, then God has, has, has made married, singles, older, younger, lots of kids, no kids, great education, little education, great family upbringing, broken family background. God has made us all a family. And so we are called to work out what that means and how that becomes a greater and and greater reality in our lives and in our church. So if we shun that, and focus in on one group of people that are the most similar to us, then, then we, we could be saying thanks but no thanks to what God has already done for us. We, we're looking at God and saying, you don't know what I really need. You don't really know what's, what's best for me. Listen, relationships with people who are similar to you are important. They can be refreshing. They can be very life-giving. They are not wrong. But they can also become codependent. They can lead you to grow inward without realizing it. They can lead you to find hope in something that you aren't necessarily supposed to find hope in. And they won't necessarily give you the wonderful, diverse experience that God has prepared for you. He wants you to learn and grow from people that are different from you. He wants you to learn and how to love and have affection for people that are different from you. Part of, part of that is that you need to, to spend time with people in different seasons, um, as he talks about here in 1 Timothy. You need to not just hang out all the time with people in the exact same place in life you are. You might spend a lot of your time with, with people in that place, but you don't need to spend all of your time. You need to be around people of all different life stages um, and at all different seasons of life who can encourage you speak truth into your life and walk alongside of you. If you are married, you need to have single people in your life and not just as, as your babysitter. Um, they, are, they are a gift from God to the church. If you are single, you are an incredibly invaluable part of, the, of this family, and I'm thankful that you are here. We need each other. If you're young married, you need families in your life. If you're single, you need married people and families in your life. Um, and kids can make it tough sometimes to create space and time, so be patient with us. Because the way Paul tells Timothy to look at others here in 1 Timothy is not dependent on on the older or younger men or or older or younger women being perfect. Um, We have this ideal in our head of of what that means. We we hear about older men and older older women, and we need them in our life, and we we want that. And and we think about having younger men and younger women in in our our life, and we have an idea of what that means. And most of the time what we have is we have an ideal, um, someone who fits that perfectly. Um, But it doesn't say that if the older Christian man 
has, has a depth of maturity and understanding and, and a career path that's similar to yours, then you would treat him like a father. If that older Christian woman has a, has a deep wisdom and a, and a similar life path to mine, then I will treat her like my mother. Uh, you see, what we often want is someone we can see ourselves becoming, and that's okay. Uh, but that's not all that you need. It doesn't say, it doesn't put limitations on it here. Uh, if they are older, if they, if they are older than you, then you see them as, as a father or mother. Um, what we need to see is, is, is as believers of God, uh, knowing that the, the other believers that he has put in front of us uh, that want to do his, his will and are seeking after him with their limitations and, and flaws and believe that God has made us a family. Uh, be obedient to the point of seeing people the way God wants us to see them, not just the way we naturally see them. We, we look through eyes of faith and, and not by sight. So, so we look through what God is telling us to look through. Uh, I, I want you to remember today that your, your family is the whole church. This is one of those things that's going to become evident in the scriptures. When Jesus himself says, who are my brothers and my sisters and who is my mother? Is it not those who belong to my father? He is reorienting and understand, our, our understanding of the, of the family unit around the church. The church is your family. We as a church, Redemption Hill, we need to work together for this. As best we can, we need to open up our homes, open up our lives, learn from one another, pray for one another, celebrate and mourn with one another. I, I know that connecting with people at the same life stage is important. Uh, it is not more important than looking around and being able to see people in different places in life from different backgrounds and just rejoice that this is your family. There are honestly so many Sundays where I just feel filled up and overflowing with joy, knowing that this is, is the family that God has established and that I couldn't have possibly put this together. I, I'm so thankful that it is him and him alone that, that, that could have brought this about. I, I understand this, this isn't always easy. Uh, this is why God tells us so many times to, to have patience. It's because, honestly, people say and, and, and do stupid things a lot, especially to people they are different than. Even some of the best people I know say stupid and sensitive things that hurt people. So if we're gonna work this out, um, we're, we're gonna have to be patient. If someone says something that's, that's insensitive or, or a little bit hurtful, uh, we can't just say, I, I'm done with you forever. Um, that, that's not the way that God has called us to be. So we have to be patient with people because what God is calling us to, to isn't just to put up with one another. He has called us to be devoted to one another in, in brotherly affection. He has called us to be devoted to one another in brotherly affection. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 10. You are actually called to feel a certain way about each other. Christians spend a lot of time uh, trying to define. I've been involved in a lot of conversations trying to define what love actually, what love actually is. Uh, and those conversations can be important. But sometimes when we have those conversations, we take affection, we take feeling out of the equation. We should feel affectionate toward one another. We should be joyful to see one another. If you want a great example of the kind of affection that God alone can produce in a, per, in, in a person for his people, then just go and read uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. First uh, Thessalonians, it is, it is intimate, loving, affectionate language. Um, it, is, it is beautiful. This is, this is what he says uh, starting in chapter 2. This is uh, Paul speaking to the Thessalonians. Verses 7 and 8, he says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, 
you would become very dear to us. In verse 11, he says, we were like a father with his children. Verses 17 through 20, he says, we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And then chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, he says, For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? We can't take affection out of that. That is affectionate language. That is a that is a man who has been changed by God, who sees, who sees God's people and is impacted by that and, and, and loves God's people because of that, because of what God has done. Um, we, we, he says, we were like a mother with you. We were affectionately desirous of you. You had become very dear to us. We were like a father. We were torn away from you. Um, we were eager and, and desired to see you. You are our glory and joy. We now live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What thanksgiving can we return to God for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Who do you feel this way about? He's not writing to, 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 to blood relatives. He's not writing to even to people that he's spent most of his life with. He is writing to a group of believers that he was able to spend a couple of years with, and he saw what God did in their midst. He saw God make those people a part of his family, and that created a God-honoring, gospel-centered, grace-driven affection for the people there. You should not be indifferent to those believers around you. You should not be indifferent to the people here that make up this church. Uh, you cannot care about everyone equally in a, in a practical sense. I understand that. You're not going to care about everyone in, in this way. You will have certain people that you care more deeply about than others. But you should be able to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. You should be able to weep with those that are weeping. You should be, you should be able to celebrate how God is using those, those other people in his church. You should be able to celebrate what God is doing in their lives. You should be able to rejoice in people coming to faith. You should find joy in hearing and seeing people growing in their faith and standing fast in the Lord. That should bring about something inside of you. You should feel something when you hear about those things. So what I would love for us to be thinking about as a church what I would love for you to be asking yourself is how would seeing each other as brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children change the way that we feel toward one another? How would it change the way we pray for one another here at Redemption Hill? How would it impact the way we serve one another? How would it shape the way we use our time and our resources? We are meant to live this way, seeing each other as, as, as a family, being affectionate, towards a, a diverse group of people that you wouldn't necessarily pick out to be your family. We see and treat each other like family because that's what we are in Christ. That's what God has brought us into through the death and resurrection of his son. Do you live every day as if you are a member of God's family, accepted and loved? Tim Keller put it this way, a child in a family obeys not in order to be loved and accepted, but because he already is loved and accepted. You are loved and accepted, and now you can extend that to other people. You can feel things for other people. You can care about, about what's going on in other people's lives. You can care about what God is doing in other people's lives. Um, it, 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 the fact that, that God has done this brings us into a place where we can start to care for people in a way that we couldn't apart from him. We, we, we love because we are loved. We welcome others in because we have been welcomed in. You are so much more precious 
in the eyes of God than you are in your own. And you need to know that that's true for you, but that's also true for the believer sitting next to you. Uh, They are precious in the eyes of God. And so we want to be a family that reminds each other of these things. Uh, We need to be living reminders of what it means to be a part of the family of God. The fact that God has adopted us, the fact that Christ gave his life so that we could be called sons and daughters creates in us the ability to engage one another in a way that wouldn't otherwise be possible. It creates affection for one another. It creates a passion for unity. It, break down, it breaks down all sorts of dividing walls that we are so prone to build up and put up. It creates the kind of people where we love one another enough to sacrifice our, our money, to sacrifice our time, to sacrifice our own brand of comfort, to welcome others in. This family that we've been called to be, this family that we've been made a part of, is not dependent on the blood that runs through our veins. It is a family that is built because of the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ as he was crucified for our sins. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us of this, that Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Christ came and preached peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. And he has taken strangers and aliens and he has made us a part of his house. He has made us a part of his family. It is by his blood that that we come together. Uh, That is our complete and total hope today, that Christ has done all of it and and now we get to respond to it. So so even now as we prepare to take communion, uh, we get to remember all of these things. We get to remember... uh, That's exactly what God has done for us. We were all strangers. We were all aliens. And through his sacrifice, he brought us into his family. Um, As as we move towards towards taking communion and reflecting on these things, um, for those that have trusted and believed in Christ, we encourage you to come and take the bread and dip that into the juice and hear those, those beautiful words, the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And know that because of that, you have been made a part of God's family. If you have not believed and trusted in, in Christ, I would encourage you, take this time uh, to, to, to think about what that means, to think about what it would mean uh, that, that, that God has come into this world to, to make you something, uh, to make you a part of God's family. Think about what is preventing you from, from fully accepting that and trusting in that and take this time to reflect on that. And I encourage you in this time to turn to Jesus, turn, turn to, to, to Christ and know that he gave He gave himself for you so that you could know him, so that you could be a part of his family. He wants to to, to bring you into this. And and I encourage you in this time to turn to Jesus. And for the rest of us, uh, let's let's reflect and rejoice in in the fact that that God has done so much to make us a a family and allow allow that to shape how we we move toward toward one another. Father, uh, we we thank you um, and, and praise you so much. Uh, for this, this time together. We thank you and praise you uh, for the people that are here, um, that, that, uh, that are your, your people, that you, have, that you have loved, that you have called uh, sons and daughters, that you have called your brothers and sisters. Uh, we, we thank you that you have done that work, and we pray that you would be working in us uh, to, to, to figure out what that means for our lives, how we can extend uh, that, same, that same loving welcome, that same uh, loving invitation to... to, to 
come together as a family. I pray that you would remind us day after day in the midst of, in the midst of difficult weeks, in the midst of feeling like we've uh, let others down or been let down by others, that, that you are a father and, and no matter what else happens in this world, that you will hold us close, that you will hold us to eternity. Uh, we, we, we thank you for that. We, we praise you for it and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.